Well, it's a joy to have with us Brother John Collier, all the way from Waco, Texas. And uh, we are delighted that he can be here and spend these few days with us. He's been a, a good friend. We enjoy serving together on the Tom Raper Foundation Board, and uh, we're delighted that he can be here. My, I told you earlier, my oldest sister and her husband taught in his Christian school many years ago down in Waco, Texas. And and I think the first time I met Brother Collier was when Vicki and I first got married, and we were working in a church in uh, right outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and he came and preached a revival meeting there, and he was much younger, and we were much younger, and, and uh, we've gotten older and wiser, and uh, we're delighted that our, cross have pa- our paths have crossed many times since then, and uh, we're glad he's here tonight. Listen carefully as he comes and preaches for us. Thank you, preacher. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew's Gospel chapter 11. I hope you are learning and coming to grips with the reality that the Christian life is not one of arrival, but it's one of a journey. And Paul, late in his life, he said, you know, I have not apprehended yet. I hadn't got all this down yet. Now, if he hadn't gotten it all down, how do we think we have? One of the last books that Paul penned was the book of Philippians. Paul wrote that from a cell, a prison in Rome. I've had the joy of, on two occasions, to be at the Mamertine prison. As far as we know, the very cell that Paul was in, it's nothing but a deep hole in a rock. Roof's about 18, 20 feet high. There's a hole in the top of it that's about 8 feet in circumference, and The Romans would let a prisoner down through that and the only way they could get out was to go back up through that hole. Now, they have stairs that come down and electric lights in it. But both times I have stood in that cell, I have been stricken to the depths of my soul at what Paul must have been going through. The darkness, the stench, the filth. Maybe he had some candles, maybe a little oil lamp. But he could be in that cell like that and he could write, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm not for sure I'd been writing that. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'd be writing somebody to get me a lawyer. Pay my bail. Get me out of here. I told Brother Roloff, Brother Lester Roloff, he was in our home, and I told him one time, I said, you know, Brother Roloff, I'm not for sure I'm martyr material. 
I said, you know, somebody run into church and they've got an automatic weapon, you'd jump up there and say, shoot me first. I'd grab some woman and hold her up in front of me <laughs> and say, the preacher's got to live, man. I've got to keep preaching. I'm just not for sure I'm martyr material. You know what he told me? God hadn't asked you to die yet, has he? God hasn't asked you for that, has he? You know, it's false religions usually that say, die for this God or die for that God. Jesus said, live for me. Now we die to ourselves, but we live to him and for him. But I would stand there in that cell and look around and we had our people from our church with us and there's a chorus that goes along with Philippians chapter 1 verse number 21 and oftentimes, by the way in the song it's not written correctly the song says for me to live is Christ to die is gain verse 21 of chapter 1 of Philippians doesn't say that he says for to me to live is Christ. Now that's a big difference. Paul said there in Philippians 1.21, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I have decided that if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. Because when I die, I got heaven. It's gain. Some years ago I read a statement. He said, you know, this writer said, if, if I die, I'm with him. If I live, he's with me. I can't lose either way. And that is so true. But Paul in that jail cell, late in his life, late in his ministry, and, and can I be honest with you? I don't, I don't think Paul thought he was really going to die. The reason I say that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where he talks about the rapture of the church and he, he said, And we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. That's a personal pronoun. We. Me. Thee. Me. Us. Y'all. All of us. I believe Paul honestly, sincerely believed that Jesus was coming back before he died. One of the problems about believing wholeheartedly in the second coming, and when I say wholeheartedly, I mean to the extent that it changes our attitudes and changes our lifestyle and changes our ambitions, is that we've just been a long way away from the promise of his return. Remember what Peter said? Oh, in the last days, scoffers are going to come saying, where is the promise of his coming? For things continue as they were from the beginning. Let me tell you where the promise is. Amen. It's right here. Just like he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he said, I'm going to prepare a place, but I'll come back for you. I'll be back for you. 
I have a message that I preach every once in a while around the Easter time. And remember when Peter and John came to the sepulcher. And John outran Peter, remember? And then he stopped and looked in and Peter, man, he just pushed right by him and went right on in. And it says that he saw the lit grave clothes lying. That means that they were just there, can I say it this way, with all the air out. The body was gone. But the grave clothes were not ruffled up. He just passed through them. And then he said, he saw a napkin folded in another place. That napkin had been on his face. I don't know this, but I think when Jesus came out and he left all the linen clothes, he brought that napkin to say to the liberal, figure this out. See what you can do with this. But the wording there, he found the napkin folded and in its place. In Jewish tradition, when you were a guest at a home and you were having a meal, if you had to leave the table, but you were finished, you weren't going to be returning, you just wadded the napkin up or towel, and you put it there, and it said to the servants, go ahead and take everything, I'm leaving, but I won't be back. But if you're coming back, you folded the napkin, and you put it down, and that said, don't mess with my plate. I'm not finished yet. I'll be back. I think Peter and John looked at that. I don't know this. I think they just about became Baptocostal. I think they said, would you look at that message? He's gone. But he'll be back. And he was. He was there for 40 days and then ascended into the heavens. But then the angel said, this same Jesus that you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner. I like how they put that. This same Jesus. So Paul, in writing Philippians and in chapter 3, Think about this. Late in his walk with God, late in his ministry, already gone through the shipwreck, already had seen the miracles, already experienced what Jesus was doing through him, through the Spirit. And Paul cries out, Oh, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. The great apostle Paul said, my heart cries to know him. As great as our God is, it takes a while to get to know him. 
And He'll take you through different experiences and He'll begin to pull back the layers of those areas of our life that we hold to ourself because we can't hold to ourself and be in reality know Jesus Christ intimately. Most of us, and when I'm talking, I'm talking about Christendom as a whole, most know Him as Savior. I'm afraid few know Him as Lord. Few know Him as Master. And the only way that you and I can ever really come to know Him is we have to learn how to come to Him. Now I'm going to make a deep statement here so I don't want y'all to miss this. I may have to repeat it. The only way you can come to Jesus is to come to Him. There has to be a decision to do that. I don't believe in what the Nazarene brethren, what they believe in a second work of grace. I don't believe as many of them do and others do that you and I can get to a place in this life where we don't sin. It's just not going to happen. There are two kinds of sins. Most of the time we think about, well, you know, I'm really pretty good in my Christian walk because I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this over here and I've quit this and I've stopped that and I've changed this over here because, boy, we, we just major on what we don't do. But what about the sins of omission? Of the things that God tells us to do that we don't do. And I, I'm afraid that that's really where most believers mess up. It's not doing what we're supposed to do that Jesus wants us to. And the way we learn to do those things is we keep daily coming unto Him. Notice in verse number 28, would you? Jesus says here, and I know it's Jesus because it's in red in my Bible, all right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Notice this. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find, notice again, rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, when you really have the right relationship with Jesus Christ, you're at rest. You have peace. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? It's His peace. It's a gift to us. I remember when I first went to Parkview, we had a young married lady in our church. Now she's an old married lady in our church. After 39 years, she has gotten older. All of her children are married. Her last name is Collier. No kin. Her name is Donna. 
R.W., her husband, is on our staff there at the church. He's our maintenance man. Donna woke up in the lost and found apartment every morning. She'd think she was saved one day, the next day she wasn't, or this minute she was, the next minute she wasn't. I mean, she was making a profession of faith every other week. I think she'd been baptized till her skin wrinkled. And sure enough, after maybe a, maybe a year of me being there, she came forward one Sunday morning handing me the card, and there she was again. I thought, this is not right. So I didn't even recognize her. I just put it in my Bible. As soon as church was over, I went down there and I said, Donna, get R.W. You all come to my office. She thought she was in trouble. Well, she really was spiritually in trouble because she didn't know. So we went in there and I said, we're going to settle this. I said, you're, you're not happy at all. You have no peace in your heart at all. You have trouble reading your Bible because you don't have peace. You have trouble handing out a gospel tract because how could you hand out a gospel tract and you don't even know if you're saved or not. And I said, we're going to get this settled. She said, oh preacher, I want to, I want to. And she just bawling, mascara running everywhere. I took her through the plan of salvation. I said, now Donna, are you willing to ask the Lord to forgive you and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, ask Him to save you. She said, Preacher, I've done that. I said, Wonderful. If you died right now, where would you go? She said, I'm not for sure. I took her through it again. Same verses. The problem's not with the verses. Problem's not with the Bible. Problem's not with God. Problem's on this side. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? So I took her through the plan of salvation again. I said, Madonna, are you willing to ask the Lord to forgive you and come into your life and be your Savior? She said, Brother Collier, I've done that. I said, oh, great. If you died right now, where would you go? She said, I don't know. I'm not for sure. I said, all right. So I opened my Bible and handed it to her, and I said, Donna, I want you to read this. John chapter 5, verse 24. Read it out loud. She read it, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. I said, Donna, read that again, out loud. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. I said, read it again. I had to read it seven times. Why? I don't know. It's the first time I've done this. <laughs> Last time she was a little exasperated. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And she said, again? I said, no, that, that's enough. I said, shut the Bible. She shut it. I said, now I want you to do what I do and say what I say. She said, okay. 
I said, now cup your hands and put them to your mouth like this. Look up toward the ceiling like you're looking up to heaven. And I want you to repeat after me. God, you lied. Say it. God, you lied. Say it. She said, preacher, I can't say that. And I'm saved. I said, how do you know? Because verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me. Jesus said, hath everlasting life. Shall not come into judgment, condemnation, but is, present tense, right now, passed from death unto life. Now watch this. Who does the saving? You or God? Well, God said He did. You going to call Him a liar? You say, well, what if I didn't mean it? Then God didn't mean it because you didn't do what God said. You hadn't believed on Him that sent Him yet. When we do what God says, He always does what He says. Amen. As many as come unto me out in no wise cast out. Do you, you ever stop and think about this? God is more anxious to save people than they are to be saved. Why would He send Jesus to die on the cross, be buried and rise again from the dead to save people and then not save them when they come to Him? He will save. Now here's the kicker. Once he saves them, he begins a good work in them. I like how one writer said, we must come to Jesus just as we are. But he won't leave us that way. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I mentioned this the other night. I was saved when I was 19 years old. I'd been in church my entire life. I made a profession of faith when I was nine years old. And one of the things that convicted me that I really wasn't saved is there was no change in my life. I was the very same. Now, now listen to me very carefully. I, I, I get, can I say it this way, preacher? I hope I don't make you upset at me. I get sick and tired and bored with everybody trying to decide whether somebody else is saved or not. And then they'll take Scripture out of context. By their fruits you shall know them. I just don't see any fruit. Well, who told you to be a fruit inspector? How much wisdom do you have to see into a person's spirit, into a person's heart? And by the way, by their fruits you shall know them is not talking about salvation. It's talking about false teachers. Now you can judge whether a Bible teacher is true or false by their fruit because they're teaching er error. Keep the scripture in its context. 
Now having said that, I don't know whether, listen to me very carefully, I personally don't know whether Brother Schilling's saved or not. I believe he is. I don't know that. He and God do. See, I don't have to know that he's a new creature. He has to know he's a new creature. I have to know something happened to me. I, uh, y'all probably y'all don't know me well enough to know this about my temperament, my personality. But I, if I get involved in something, I give it everything I have. Baseball, golf, being a dad, being a preacher. I, I, I've been preaching for over 60 years now and I don't care whether there's five people there or 500, I give it the best shot I got every time I get up to preach. Why? Because I'm not preaching for you. I'm preaching for Him. I told the young lady that sang tonight and did such a wonderful job, where'd she go? If you left church now, I'll tell you, oh. oh, oh, there she is right there. I, I told her, I said, don't sing to us. Sing to Him. If you'll sing to Him, we'll get in on it. We'll be blessed. Just sing to Him. Too much, uh, too much acting going on in Christianity anyway. But anyway, so when I got out of high school and I didn't go to college, I had the opportunity to go play college baseball, but I didn't go. And uh, I got a job, but... I got involved in some more athletics. I didn't want to play city softball. Didn't want to do anything like that. So I got involved in bowling. Both of my sisters were excellent bowlers. I mean, carried a big average, uh, bowled in traveling leagues. And I, I got to, so I'm single, living at home, working eight to five. So I got all night. So when I got saved, I was bowling in nine leagues a week. I mean, that's all I did. I ate, slept, went to work, bowled. That was it. Sometimes I'd bowl till 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. We'd bowl pot games where you just put some money in and everybody bowled across the house and whoever had the highest game when you got through got the money. I won some, I lost a lot more. <laughs> but I was just, I was happy doing that. Our town was dry. That means there's no alcohol sold in Garland. That's not that way now, but back then it was. So people would come into the bowling alley and they'd have their ball under their arm and hold their shoes and have their bowling bag. It was full of booze bringing into the bowling alley. That didn't bother me. I didn't drink, but that didn't bother me. Smoke everywhere. Now that did bother me. I didn't, never did like that. Never did smoke, never did dip, never did chew. I take that back. I, I lied. I chewed tobacco one time. I was a junior in high school playing summer baseball. We were in a tournament, the last game, championship game, and coach told me I was going to be pitching that night. 
It was hot. I stopped by a little country uh, grocery store, Highland Grocery. I didn't know one chewing tobacco from another. But I've always seen these ball players have that great big old lump in their jaw, you know, and I thought, boy, I'm going to pitch this championship. I need something to help. I asked Mr. Travis Bagwell, the owner, I said, Mr. Bagwell, what kind of tobacco do ball players chew? He said, I have no idea. I said, what do you suggest? He said, well, really, I suggest you don't. I said, no, I need it. He sold me something called beech nut. It's in a pouch. All it is is rotten, decayed grass. It stunk. I got in my car and I looked in that and thought, oh, man. So I'm driving and I pull out a little string of it and put it in there. Nope. I had about a fourth of that bag in my mouth before I could see a lump. It was about 100 degrees, 100% humidity, no clouds in the sky, just hot, murky. I'm down there warming up, pitching, warming up, spitting, warming up. Back through the mound that night, Craig, you'll get a kick out of this, I fielded nine balls back through the pitcher's mound. Daddy told me later, that was the English you was putting on the ball. I said, well, man, I wish I'd known. I'd changed to German. <laughs> I mean, that, but the bottom of the third inning, two outs. I delivered that ball. A guy hit that ball back at me a thousand miles an hour, I think. I just threw my glove up. Dad told me, he said, I knew you was going to catch it, son. You shut your eyes. <laughs> I said, Dad, I wasn't trying to catch it. I was trying to keep from being decapitated. But I caught that ball. I didn't even have to squeeze. It just stuck in my webbing and hit me in the chest and I swallowed. <laughs> I swallowed some of that stuff. I turned around behind the pitcher's mound and I just spit the rest of it all over the infield. I got over to the dugout. The whole world was going around. Again, I wasn't saved then, but I prayed. I remember it. I said, oh God, if you'll get me over this and me not die, I'll never do this again. I have never done that again. I wouldn't tempt God. He's got a long memory. But I really got to bowling. Got saved on Sunday morning, Monday night, Six o'clock, I walk into that bowling alley. And that bowling alley had changed. That's right. Amen. But what I found out, the bowling alley was the same. God changed me. He said, what would you do? I just walked over and told the man I bowled for on that league, I said, I'm sorry, I can't stay here. I just can't stay here. Why? Why? I said, well, I got saved yesterday. <laughs> really? Saved people can't come here? I said, well, this saved person can't. I can't answer for everybody else. But I can't. I quit every one of them. Why? I'm a new creature. I didn't want to be where my Jesus wasn't very evident. You see, once you're saved again, God places the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't feel Him. You experience Him. 
He begins to convict you in your mind. Give you direction and leadership in your mind. Yes, do this. No, don't do that. Yeah, you need to read this. No, you, you don't, you need to stop that. He just begins to do that. You know, before I was saved, I went to church because I was made to. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? My mom and dad made me go. You ever heard parents say this? I don't want to make my child go to church because when they get older, they won't like church. Are you kidding me? Don't let them eat. Because when they get older, they don't know how to diet. Which is true, by the way. I'm glad my mother and dad made me because that Sunday morning I was saved, that preacher of my my pastor tried to talk me out of being saved that day. Oh, you just have sin in your life. Just go there and tell God you're sorry. Everything will be all right. But I'd heard enough gospel that I knew how to be saved. And I trusted Christ. How did I do that? I came to Him. I came to Him. I did what He said. I came to Him. But then there are those who say, there has to be that second work of grace where you get to a place to where you just are sinless. Now listen to my statement here very carefully. I don't mind people quoting me, but please don't misquote me. I don't think we ever get to a place where we are sinless. He that is without sin cast the first stone. I believe as we walk with God, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we ought to sin less. Not be sinless, but we ought sin less. And the longer we're alive in our faith, we ought to sin less. And the only way to do that is to keep coming to Christ. Not for your salvation, for your fellowship, for His leadership, for Him becoming the controller of your life your thinking, your attitudes, your love. It's amazing when you realize that Satan doesn't want you to know this. Satan doesn't want you to learn how to come to Christ. It's very simple. Listen to me very carefully. You just do it. I don't know how many times I say, maybe even in the day, Lord, it's me again. I'm back here again. I dropped the ball. I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I shouldn't have acted that way. My attitude shouldn't have been that, Lord. Have you ever, none of y'all have ever done this, I know, but have you ever started out to do something and you're driving and for some reason, you don't know exactly why, but all of a sudden you think, I didn't read my Bible this morning. You say, preacher, is that a sin? Only if God leads you to do it. 
But how can I fellowship with him if I don't read what he's saying to me? How can I walk with him if I'm not talking to him about what he is saying to me and to make my burdens known to him? You say, preacher, he already knows your burdens. He does. But he wants me to know and love him enough to ask him about them. Casting all your care on him, for he careth you. How can you cast them on him if you're carrying them yourself? You've got to give them to him. Lord, here it is. I remember when our doctor said that Virginia's cancer had returned. Can I be honest with you? I was upset. I was upset not in the right way. I was upset at God. My wife was the most loving, sacrificial person I personally have ever known. And I told God, I said, Lord, I can make you a list of people who ought to have this cancer instead of her. He sort of let me know real quick. He didn't need my list. He had it all under his control. All I tell you the kind of lady she was and the impression she made on people. There were almost 50 preachers at her funeral. That's the impact she had. She raised two children who loved God with all their heart. And they loved their daddy too. What I'm saying is you have to come to Him in every situation. Come to Him. You come to Him for salvation. You come to Him for fellowship, for power, for deliverance. Well, preacher, should everybody come? Well, all you that are labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. What's heavy on your heart? What burdens your heart? Now listen to me very carefully. You will never grow in your life beyond that until you learn to bring it to Him. Cast all your care upon Him. Why? He cares for you. It's not God's will for you to walk through that all by yourself. He wants to carry it for you. Do you see what he said? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what a yoke is? It's where two are put together. Jesus said, get in my yoke. But notice what he said. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I'll take it off you and I'll put it on me. What a great God. Let me close with this. I don't know if I shared this before few years ago when I preached here but and I'll do it real quick I told preacher I preached a little too long last night but when I was in Bible college I became a youth pastor of the church that sponsored the college and the pastor just bold faced lied to me 
I mean, just told, uh, in Texas, we call it a whopper. I mean, he just told me a lie. I was a young preacher, a young Christian. And I mean, it devastated me in my spiritual life. Here I was a young preacher and I felt like preachers ought to tell the truth. Now I'm an old preacher and I still think preachers ought to tell the truth. I left his office, went down to my office. <laughs> well, Tim, this is true. My office was a converted broom closet. No windows, old sink in there, but I had a little table. Had a young people had a manual typewriter. Didn't have a cord on it. Didn't have a screen or anything, and you had to move it like that and put paper in it. I mean, read about them in, in an encyclopedia. I typed out my resignation letter. I decided this. This is what I decided. I was quitting the ministry. I wasn't going to be a preacher. I told God, I'm not going to quit you, Lord, but I can't be a preacher. Guys act like this. So I'm going to graduate, transfer all the hours I can to East Texas State Teachers College down in Commerce, Texas. It's now Texas A&M at Commerce. That's where I could have gone, played some baseball, and I thought, well, maybe I can play some ball. And but I'll get my education degree. And I'll teach history in high school and coach. I'll be in church. I'll teach a Sunday school class. I might even get to be a deacon like my dad. So I resigned. I went home and I told my dad and my mom that I was not going to be in the ministry. It devastated my daddy especially. I didn't know it, but he called his pastor, Dr. Millard Box. No Ken declined, but Dr. Millard Box. He called me on the phone. He said, John, I understand you're not at Miller Road anymore. And I said, no, sir. I'm not going to be in the ministry. He said, yeah, you know, that's what your dad said. He said, would you pray about coming and working with me till God opens up something else for you? I said, Brother Box, I'm not going to be in the ministry. He said, that's what you said, but uh, would you pray about it? Well, you know, I said, okay, yeah, I told God I wasn't going to quit him. Well, you, you need to pray. He said, that's all I asked, just pray about it. So I hung the phone up. I said, now, dear Lord, I know you don't want me to do that. Amen. A couple of days passed, and Brother Box called me back. He said, have you prayed about it, John? I said, I can't lie to him. I said, well, not really. He said, well, let's pray. I said, on the phone? He said, yeah, God's listening in. Just God is all of my explanation, but something touched my heart, and I went up and talked with him and became his assistant pastor and youth pastor. But Tim, I went there with a cocked eye. I was watching. I was looking for a chink in his armor. I was waiting for a lie. I was waiting for him to fail. 
Folks, all I saw in him was Jesus. I saw a man who loved people, who loved God, who loved the Word, who taught the Word in power. After about three months with him, I went into his office one day and I said, Dr. Box, I, I want what you have. That's what I want. I don't want to quit. I want what you have. He looked up from his Bible and he said, well, I'm not for sure you really do, John. I said, oh yes sir, I'm, I'm sure I, I do. He said, I'm not for sure. He reached around, pulled a little book out of his bookcase, not even as thick as my Bible. He said, I want you to read this and then decide. It's a book called Born Crucified by Ellie Maxwell. It is a classic. I have them. I give them away to young preachers. I went home that night, read that book. I thought, no wonder he said he wasn't for sure. It's all about dying to John Collier. It's all about dying to ourselves. I read that book through twice. There in my bedroom in my mom and dad's house, 132 West Avenue, E. Garland, Texas. I bowed my heart. I laid myself out on the floor of my bedroom. And I said, Oh Lord Jesus, more than I want to live, I want you. I want you. I don't know what it's going to entail. I don't know the cost. But I want to be willing to pay it. Nothing happened. I was waiting for you know angel wings to brush around somewhere or at least see some lightning, you know. Nothing. I went to sleep, got up the next morning, started my Bible reading. And for the first time, I doubted whether or not I was saved. Thoughts came into my mind. You don't remember everything you said verbatim when you got saved. Now, something as important as your eternal soul seems like you'd remember everything you said. Sounds logical. I didn't remember. Can I tell you this? You're not saved by your memory. You're saved by the grace of God. I can't remember everything I've said today verbatim. Didn't mean I didn't say it. Doesn't mean I didn't mean it when I said it. Says I can't remember. And the older I get, the less I remember. Boy, I was miserable. I went right to the preacher that day and I said, Preacher, I don't think I'm saved. But it's him, he looked at me and he said, Stay with God, son. Just stay with the Lord. I said, Sir? He said, uh, you made that commitment, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you just stay with the Lord. Do what you know you're supposed to do. Stay in the book. I always heard, if you doubt your salvation, read 1 John. I almost memorized all five chapters. I went for two weeks. Miserable. I was afraid to go out on visitation, afraid I'd have a wreck and die. 
I mean, I was, my, I was engaged to be married. Virginia kept saying, John, what's wrong? I said, I don't think I'm saved. She said, what? I said, I know. You probably want to break up with me. She said, no, but surely you are. And I said, That's, I hope. I, don't. I was miserable. After two weeks, before visitation on Tuesday night, went by Dr. Miss Bach's home. She let me in. <clears throat> he was at the dinner table. He never told me this. Miss Box told me. That was the first meal he had had in two weeks. He'd fasted and prayed for me. I'm standing here tonight teaching and preaching because a man took me to God and didn't give up on me. And God heard his prayer. God heard him. I said, preacher, I'm lost. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. I can't stay with God anymore. I said, I'm lost. He said, you ever doubt you was called to preach? I said, well, no, not till now. Now I'm not for sure. He said, don't listen to yourself. That's what has to die, son. Listen to the Word. He said, let's go to the church. We went there and went in his study. He went over behind his desk. There was a little couch here. And he said, you kneel there. Boy, I did. I got down on my knees. and He was behind there and he just prayed, prayed a simple prayer. Lord, let me know if it's time. I had no earthly idea what he's talking about. I was so ignorant. And I prayed to him. I said, Lord, I don't know what he's talking about, but please let it be time. I thought it was 30 minutes before he prayed again. It's probably 30 seconds. He said, thank you, Lord. He said, all right, devil, take your hands off my brother. You have no power in his life. You have no power because Jesus is alive and he is Lord. And one day your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that he is Lord. You just might as well admit it right now in this room because you have no power. All right, John, thank God for your victory. Sir, thank God for your victory. I said, I don't feel... Hush! I didn't tell you to thank God for what you felt. You thank God for what He says you have. You confessing. And I did. Can't explain it. But great peace came to me. I honestly believe that that was the first time that I was ever really filled with the Holy Spirit. My life changed. The ministry God's given me changed. I had a new love for Virginia. I had a new love for my Savior. Well, what have you done all these years, preacher? I keep dying. I keep dying to myself every day. Sometimes four or five times a day. When that flesh rises up, it has to be crucified. You say, how do you do that? You say no to it. How do you have the power to do that? That power that is within you, given by Him.
but you've got to come to Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment. Can I be up front with you? This was not the message totally that I had, I had planned tonight. But it is what God planned. No one but pastor and myself are looking around so no one would be embarrassed. But I wonder, would there be maybe one or two tonight? And you'd say, Brother Collier, if the truth be known, I'm not 100% sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. And I wish you'd pray for me. Would you just lift that? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I want to pray for you. And God hears my prayers. And God hears preachers' prayers. We want to pray for you. Would you just, anyone just lift that hand till I see it. And slip it down. I don't know what you mean. Now I wonder, would there be some, you'd say, preacher, I did have doubts, but God helped me settle those while you were preaching tonight. Would you just lift that hand in testimony to Christ tonight? Would there be someone like that? Okay, good. Now, thirdly, do you need to come to Him? Only you know that. I don't know it. Preacher doesn't know it. But you and God know it. The invitation's open tonight. Come to Him. You can't know that His burden's light and His yoke is easy. You can't know His rest if you don't come to Him. Let's stand quietly to our feet. Heavenly Father, speak now and may Your children hear and may we respond as how You prompt our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name. Preacher.